0: Hey everybody welcome to all have another podcast with lindsey Hine. i'm your host lindsey thank you so much for being here today today you're listening to episode 118 and i'm talking with allison Schaff. allison is the founder and ceo of prep dish prep dish is a subscription based meal planning service and in this episode allison tells us about how an idea came to a business and how she executed all that she gives us great advice on books and tips for making your dreams come true. If you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard about Prep Dish before because they've been a sponsor several times. The more I got to thinking about it, the more I wanted to hear more about Allison's journey to making her business a real-life thing. So she tells us all about that. And, you know, Allison is one of those people that's really fun and easy to talk to. Whenever I hop on a Skype call to record these interviews, I never really know what the interview is going to be like and right off the bat I knew that Allison was going to be personable and easy to talk to so this is a really fun conversation she also tells us about how her and her husband met on eHarmony and their plans to travel the world with their kids they've already traveled a lot of the world together and she's just a real fun person and once you guys get to know her and her mission and her hope behind prep dish you're probably going to want to try it out you guys can try it out two weeks free if you go to prepdish.com slash another and use the code another, you'll get a free two week trial. And hey, if you guys are loving the show, I would really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. I check that like every day, probably more than I should. And when there's more rating and reviews, it's more likely that potential new listeners will find the show iTunes loves that, so if you haven't done so yet and you are enjoying this, I would really, really, really appreciate that. I'm at 8.95, so let's at least let's tip over to 900. That would be fun. And if you're looking for more content from me, head over to my Patreon page, Patreon.com/LindseyHine, where I put out bonus content. Just put an episode out last week on a Boston Marathon wrap up with my husband. We talk about his race, his expectations, the outcomes what's next for him, and also the outcomes of some other people that ran, you know, like Sarah Sellers and Krista Duchesne. Fun episode over there. All right, you guys, let's go ahead and get started and enjoy this conversation with Allison Schaff. Well, today we're talking with Allison Schaff, and I'm so excited to have you on today. Welcome, Allison. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. So if you guys listening have ever heard me talk about Prep Dish, which I'm sure you have, Allison is the founder, which is so cool. I love talking to entrepreneurs.
1: I love talking to entrepreneurs as well, which is why I'm excited to chat with you today because I know you're an entrepreneur in your own right.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I first heard about heard you about- on um, Jamie's podcast, The Happy Hour.
1: Oh, good. Yes. That's, she's awesome. So.
0: And I saw that you got to meet her and you went on her, went to her book tour recently.
1: Yes. So I've been, it's so fun. So I um, live in Austin. Actually, we live in a similar suburb, but when our houses are kind of a distance apart, but she hosts um, different events at her house. And so I went to, she has something called happy hour live. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I went to the, PrepDish actually sponsored that. So I did her very first Happy Hour Live, which was amazing. I mean, I was just like crying. I was laughing so hard. Um, And then, yeah, she had a recent book tour that she did at her house again. And so it's just so cool that she hosts those like right there at her home. And I mean, she's just great. So, yeah.
0: I know. It makes me want to host an event like that at my house. But I'm like, it's Indiana weather. You just never know. It makes me nervous (laughs) to do something outside.
1: Yeah, I know. We actually are probably not until the fall, but I'm hoping to start hosting some things out here. We're in the country. Um, so it's kind of a distance outside of Austin, but you know, we have a little space and chickens and kind of all of that. So hopefully someday I'll start doing something similar.
0: Okay. But before I want to get into your life story a little bit, but before that you mentioned you have chickens, how many do you have?
1: Okay. So the current count is at 16. Um, if anyone's had chickens, they know that, you know, the the numbers started, we started with 21 and we're currently now at 16 and I am kind of obsessed. Oh, so are you the main caretaker? uh yeah my husband too though you know we both it's it's funny at night a lot of times I have him go and shut the coop because they are just I usually bring out treats that's I mean that's how you win them over right so I bring out treats and they always like run to me so at night when it's time to put them away I usually have him do it because if I go out they all like start coming out (laughs) of the coop because they think I'm there with treats and so I kind of like shove them back in so you know he helps out (laughs) okay so my question is who cleans up the poop um, so actually that would probably, well, so we rotate our coop every week so that we don't have to, oh. um, when they were inside and they were babies, it was mainly my husband. I mean, he's, he's really good at that. And he usually does the moving of the coop. So. so what does that mean? Moving of the coop coop. So we have kind of these, you could you have mobile ones that can be on wheels, but ours are not on wheels, but they're kind of, they're not too heavy. And it's two that are kind of pu- pushed together. And we just rotate them across the lawn. So that way it doesn't, it's really like the most environmentally friendly uh-huh. way to do it because they don't kill any area of the lawn. Their fertilizer actually helps kind of all the different areas and fertilizes it. So that. yeah, we just, every Saturday we move the coop and they get to be in a new location. That's genius. <laughs> that, that's the way I
0: would want to do it because that's my biggest thing about it. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that poop, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, if you move it every week, I mean, you don't even notice that it's there, because then eventually it just kind of, you know, Shakes I can, you can go back, and I can't even tell all the spots that the coop has been, because it just, yeah, kind of just
0: Okay, um, well, Allison, tell us a little bit about your life. Like, where did you grow up?
1: So, I grew up in southwest Kansas in a small town of about 1,400 people, wow. and yeah, I lived there, you know, for 18 years, and my parents both still live there, so...
0: And where did you go to school?
1: So, I um, kind of have a, I kind of started one place and moved on. So, my very first year, I went to KU because I was not sure. I always had a passion for cooking. Like in high school, I was working as essentially a personal chef to a small family run business in town and loved doing that. Um, But, and so kind of wanted to go to culinary school, but academics were always super important to me. And I felt like going to culinary school was, kind of not the same as going to college my parents (laughs) kind of felt the same way so maybe that's where it came from and I also wanted to become a dietitian but I wasn't sure about I don't know I just had all these things but wasn't sure so I went to KU the first year and really didn't think that that was where I wanted to be for four years um So I ended up transferring to Johnson and Wales and they have a culinary nutrition program and it's a bachelor's program. So it was perfect. I got to do a four year bachelor's program, but a lot of my classes were cooking in the beginning. It was just the basics. But then the last few years were things like, um, athletic cuisine and spa cuisine and, um, like a research, like a food and research class. And, uh, so it was just, it was so cool to do that. And then I also got the requirements I needed to go on, To um, become a dietitian, so I went to grad school um, at Tufts for nutrition communications, and um, became a registered dietitian. Uh, And it's kind of funny too, because both of those, like going to culinary school, I knew I didn't want to be a chef in a you know kitchen. I didn't want that lifestyle or that job. Um, And then I also knew going to nutrition school, I didn't want to work in a hospital as a dietitian, but I did (laughs) know that I had you know, an interest in both of these areas and I wanted to meld, you know, I wanted to meld them together. I've always been entrepreneurial. So I think I just knew I was going to kind of create my own thing. And, you know, that's exactly what I've ended up doing. <laughs> so.
0: so you, you've lived like everywhere though. You lived in England, Puerto Rico, the East coast, the West coast. Um, yes. what took you to all those places?
1: So, well, school took me to the East coast cause, um, so Johnson and Wales, I was in Denver and then in Rhode Island because they didn't I went to the associate's programs in Denver. They didn't have the program I wanted in Denver. So I had to transfer to their Rhode Island, which is the main campus there in Providence. And from there, I think, you know, that's how I learned out learned about the program at Tufts and lived um, in Boston. And after living on the East Coast, I just I don't know. I think it was also just growing up in such a small town and not really, you know, seen much of the world. I just always had this desire to see the world. Um, my grandparents were um, very well traveled. And I think that kind of instilled that in me, like seeing pictures of all their travels growing up really inspired me to do that. Um, so anyway, after living on the East Coast, well, I did do an internship over in England for six months and really got to travel a lot while I did that. I worked at a health spa over there, which was really cool. Um, and then You know, after living on the East Coast, I was like, gosh, I really want to live in California. I'd never even been to California, but when I started my job search, I only looked at jobs that were in California. (laughs) So fun. So I ended up moving there and working for the Almond Board. It's sort of like, you know, the Dairy Council or something like that. And I was, um, my job was to, promote almonds. And in that job, I got to go to a lot of conferences, um, around the country, but also around the world. So I went to some cool places like, um, Japan and South America and, you know, was just talking about the health benefits of almonds. And I also got to explore California. I got to really, you know, when you're living there, like every weekend I would just go, to a different place and check it out and really loved that. But I think the thing I loved the most was realizing you can have a winter where it's mild and warm. (laughs) So um, when I realized that that job wasn't a good long term fit for me, I think it was kind of entrepreneurial bug that was there. You know, I just knew I wanted to be out on my own doing my own thing. And I was like, well, gosh, if I could live anywhere, where would that be? And I knew I really, I I just enjoyed the warm weather. I love being outside. I love hiking and going for long walks. And I just felt like I was happier um, living there. And so I was looking at places to move and kind of, I did checklists. That's how I make decisions. Sometimes I was like, okay, here's all the places. I read some books that have um, information on, you know, where you should live or how to decide where you should live. And um, Austin just kept kept coming to the top. And so, um, I moved there in 2009. So I've been in Austin for quite a while, although, um, gosh, not to jump around too much, but, um, after meeting my husband and getting married, we did move to Puerto Rico for a year last year or uh, almost two years ago now. And we lived in Puerto Rico for a year, just kind of a fun, fun adventure. Um, for our first year of marriage. So we did enjoy that.
0: (laughs) Okay. I think that's probably when I started following prep dish and following you, because I remember thinking, where the heck does she live?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I lived in Puerto Rico. That's so cool. Well,
0: what was your, what was your husband doing that allowed you guys to go live in Puerto Rico for two years?
1: So we are um, both entrepreneurs and it was kind of a time in his, at that time he had two businesses and he'd stepped down from the CEO role of his one business and didn't have an active role in the second one. And so he actually kind of was on a bit of a break um, in terms of work, you know, his work commitments and, you know, his businesses are also online. So um, anyway, we had some friends that were kind of six of us total that were all moving down there. And, um he was working part time with Preptish and but also just kind of taking a break and you know, at the end of that he now has his own company again and is like back CEO role in doing that. But it was just kind of this like weird break that we had the opportunity to have and so we moved down there and um it was it was a lot of fun. It was really a cool experience and you know, to be able to have that um early in our relationship and um, to be able to kind of go through that together was, um, yeah, just really fun.
0: I try not to be a jealous person, but I'm jealous. That <laughs> sounds
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah, it uh, really was. And, you know, we're, we got, we're both, I'm, I was 33 or 34 when I got married and okay. he was 37, I think. I'm probably wrong on those ages, but, you know, a little bit older to where, you know, we want to have a family soon and that sort of thing. So we're like, you know, it I think that's such a great opportunity yes. that we get to have something that's just the two of us before we jump into like a family phase of our relationship so that was another reason why that just felt like so important to me because getting to do an experience like that it just really makes that time feel that much more valuable I think
0: Oh 100% I'm like my we have a my husband's cousin is like quite a bit younger than us I mean she's like in her late 20s but they're moving to Singapore for 2 years and it's like yes, go do that right now. Like go, you don't have kids. Like, and I think they eventually want to have kids, but I'm like, yes, because once you have kids, not that you can't, it's just logistically, everything is much different. So that is so fun.
1: Um, I never envisioned like, you know, raising kids in Puerto Rico or anything. I was like, like, let's do this for a year. It'll be fun. You know, that wasn't like something that was a long-term plan. So
0: how did you guys meet you and your husband?
1: we met on eHarmony. <laughs> I
0: love that. That's awesome. I love it when people tell me that. So you, were you like 31 or something when you met him?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe 31, 32. We dated for nine months and got married. Wow. Um, uh, we got, we dated for nine months and got engaged and then we're engaged for nine months and then got married. Wow. That's so. pretty fast. Um,
0: Just so everybody yeah. knows this is not an eHarmony ad, but that's a pretty cool. Pl- <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty cool plug for them. Why did you decide eHarmony over the other uh, platforms?
1: Well, you know, I did some of the other platforms as well. Um, but that I actually liked eHarmony because I felt like the people that were on eHarmony were more committed. Um, you know, it wasn't free. It wasn't, ex- you know, super expensive. But and you also had to kind of go through more of a process and they matched you a little bit better. Sometimes people would sometimes you'd have more communication back and forth before you went on your first date, although we did not um my husband actually had i think it was like a month before i responded he like reached out and like said something and i at that point kind of wasn't active on a harmony and i got back a month later and got back to him and so <laughs> <laughs> on our first date but yeah you know and i even tried because what all did i i did some of the sites but there's even a local like matchmaker here in austin oh, that really? I for a a while yeah and thought that might work, but, um, you know, you, you, kind of have to just try a few things and eHarmony was the winner. So.
0: A local matchmaker. I wonder if there's any oh. in Indy. I mean, I know, you know, like the TV show millionaire matchmaker, yeah. I never think I of like, local, <laughs> local matchmakers. I mean, what a fun job would that be?
1: Yeah, it was really, it was a cool, it was fun to do. Um, and, Um, I went on some good dates that she set me up on. But I do think overall, because I was probably 29 or 30 when I did that. And I think a lot of her clientele ended up being a little bit older crowd and maybe, you know, people who had been divorced and kind of like in their 40s or 50s. So I don't think I was exactly like the best Mm -hmm. target for her, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But um, I thought it was worth a try. I'm like, Hey, if it finds me, my husband, like, and like totally. <laughs> you know, a point
0: where I was just ready to find someone.
1: <laughs> so was
0: he in Austin when you, I mean, did you guys live in the same city when you met?
1: Yeah, we actually live, we both lived downtown within a mile of each other. And there's like kind of a bunch of like crazy connections of, I did consulting for this local company called Beatnik um, that has like, paleo fr- freezer meals. And like, I kind of planned this event that they did. And he like went to that event. So there's all these like different things where it's like, I'm kind of surprised we just didn't meet like both being downtown and, yeah. you know, and into like, a you know, he we're both into different things that are similar. So like entrepreneurship and healthy eating and just all sorts of similarities. So
0: good e harmony. I know. <laughs> putting this together. Well, yeah. let's talk about, um, you know, like making the decision to leave your quote unquote real job and pursue mm-hmm. this like passion that you had. Because I think a lot of people have this, um, this entrepreneur heart, but like don't, you know, like you're, it's scary. It's a scary mm-hmm. thing to do. So like when, when did the moment click that you were like, I'm freaking doing this?
1: Um. So I'm not, I'm trying to think it was sort of, it was a few things. So I'd been in um, a relationship in California. And so I know when that came to an end, it made me realize like, I didn't want to be in California long term. Um, So the Almond Board is located in Modesto, California, which is kind of a smaller town in the Central Valley. So um, I just didn't see myself like meeting my like staying there. I was like, if I stay there and meet my husband, I'll just live in Modesto for the rest of my life. And, you know, not there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't have a connection to that town. You know, I'm from Kansas and still felt like I wanted to see and explore a lot of the world. And so that kind of just knowing that like long term, I didn't want to stay there. And also in my job, just like working with we worked with a lot of like influencers. And when we would work with them, I would just always think, well, gosh, I really kind of feel like I want to be that influencer versus being here, sitting in my role, working at the desk and doing that. Um, But I also, you know, when I was there, like nights and weekends was kind of hustling and like figuring all of it out. It's not like I just left and had no plan. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I always like to talk about for people that are like considering it or like have that fear is um, I read it in a book before I left my job and it's like really getting to the root of that fear. So like, where does that fear come from? And, like, what, or, and what's the worst that could happen? So walk down the fear and be like, what's the worst case scenario? So for me, it's like, you know, I'd saved up some money. So, well, for one, I knew because the fear was usually like, OK, it's not going to work out. Um, and kind of you can just stop there and be like, well, if it doesn't work out, what happens? Well, then you go and find a job. So you're kind of back to where you started. So you don't really like lose much anyway. I mean, maybe it's a little embarrassing. Um, but then also like, OK, really, like what if it didn't happen and, you know, after a few months, you, re- you don't make money. And I'm like, well, I guess like I have money saved up. I think I could go at least six months um, and I would be fine. And then after that, I'd really need to make sure it's going okay. But I'm like, you know, if it really didn't work out, I guess I'd have to move back home with my parents. Like, I'm not just going to, it's not like it doesn't work out and you're on the streets, you know? And I think that sometimes with fear, unless you really um, dig down to where the fear is coming from, it seems like that's the fear. Like, oh my gosh, if it doesn't work out, it's just like this devastating thing and I'm on the streets. Well, that's usually not the case. (laughs) Like very rarely, right? Like, um, there's a lot of things that would have to happen to where you'd get to like the very worst fear, you know? And so I really, when I did that realized, gosh, like the, the worst thing that would happen is if I would run out of money and somehow not figure out a way to like have side jobs, which I've always been good at doing, I guess I'd have to go and like live with my mom. And I don't know, like, I guess to me, that doesn't sound like that bad of a situation. I love my mom and (laughs) I wouldn't mind like having to live with her for a few months. I'm like, well, gosh, there's really not a lot to be afraid of, you know? Yeah.
0: And I think, um, you know, as someone who kind of has started my own thing, I think a lot of the fear too is like, you know, there's some pretty big upfront investments you have to make to start a business. And so, like you said, you saved the money intentionally knowing you were gonna do it. But yeah, like when you write a check or do something where you're like, okay, I gotta spend like, <clears throat> even if it's $1,500, like when you're not making money elsewhere, it feels like a lot of, you know, a lot to do.
1: Yeah, it really does. And that's where sometimes, and this one's harder to explain because I think it's just kind of like that deep down gut feeling that you're on the right path. Yeah. Um, and if you know that you don't go down that path, if you don't go down that path, you're going to regret it, then the $15 $1,500 shouldn't matter because it's like, you need to spend that to like go down that path and feel like you did what you were supposed to do, or you knew you needed to do, even if it doesn't work out, you know, it's like, you need to give yourself that because you don't want to like, live wishing that you would have done it when when you have the feeling you just kind of know I think
0: well yeah and there's lots of like just so listeners don't get us wrong here like there's lots of intentional planning that goes into that you were not just like I'm quitting my job and I have fifteen hundred dollars to spend on this it's like no you intentionally saved specifically for this Um, Mm -hmm. tell me how the idea of prep dish kind of started and how you took idea to action to getting it off the ground
1: yeah. So actually when I first moved to Austin back in 2009, I, the main business that I was doing was I started a personal chef company. I was you know, also doing some consulting, but um, that was the main thing was a personal chef company kind of, I mean, all I was doing was going into people's homes and cooking for them. And it was the, kind of the exact same thing I was doing in high school that I really enjoyed. That's why I went back to that and kind of knew that I was familiar with it. And I loved doing that. It was it worked great. Um, I loved my clients. I kind of worked with a small number of them week after week. And I would go into their homes and once a week and prep all their food for the week and then leave them instructions on how to heat it up and um, became really efficient with it because the more efficient I was, uh, the more clients I could bring on. And in doing all that, it kind of got to a point, though, sort of with the previous job, I'm like, well, gosh, I don't know, like in 20 years, I don't think I'm going to be like going into people's houses and cooking because, (laughs) you know, like I want to have a family at some point. I just don't think like I want to do that for the rest of my life. And at that time, this part's kind of funny. And you'll see why later I was like, and I don't think that I want my job to just be like, you know, managing a bunch of chefs, which is how you would grow that business. Cause Mm -hmm. it kind of got to the point where I was like, how do I grow? And so um, I realized though, that I had this process that I was using, not only for my clients, but for myself, like, you know, spend a few hours prepping your food and then you're good to go on your meals for the week. And, you know, I systemized it. I was like as efficient as possible. And I'm like, you know, I think I can put this into a package and sell it online. And so that's what I started doing. But again, like the fear wasn't there for prep dish because here I was like, I had this personal chef company and these clients where I was doing this, you know, and making a regular income from that. So nights and weekends, I was putting together the meal plans, putting up the website, putting it all together. And I didn't, what I ended up doing was hiring another chef to replace me in the personal chef company and then doing prep dish full time. But by the time I did that prep dish was making money. So it was like year, I think three, because the first two years of having prep dish, you know, an online business, there's even, there's a lot more expenses and yes. things that come to it. So you know, it took a few years of me doing both before I felt comfortable to really jump in fully, um, and do prep dish. So now that's kind of how prep dish came about. And it's just what I described. It's, uh, you know, a grocery list and those meal prep instructions, like very specific, what do you do to spend an hour or two over the weekend putting together all, all your meals. And then throughout the week, it's, you know, simple and easy. So, um, that's how it came about. And the point about, you know, I didn't want to manage a big team. I mean, that's kind of, that's not all what I do with prep edition. It's a small team, but I do a lot of managing because every time you want to grow, you have to kind of bring on some people to help. And I do enjoy it. And I it was kind of something though, before was always you know, I hesitated towards that or thought it was something I didn't want. But now that I have it, I realize, wow, it's so cool that I have this team that can help support me and my goal and my mission for, you know, helping all these people with their meals. So it kind of came full circle.
0: (laughs) How many employees do you have?
1: So um, I have the core team is like five contractors. Most of them are all part time. But um, there's kind of five of us that have a call each week and go over everything. So
0: So you have, obviously, you have a communications person. That's Andrea, who I talk to. Yep. And then do you have, does she do your social media? Or do you have, what do you have these five, what are like the different areas of business the five people are working on?
1: Yeah, so she does help with social media and um, helps with a lot of kind of our advertisers and coordinating all of that. Um, We have um, Alexis who helps with our meal plan editing. So, you know, we're constantly doing new recipes. Um, I actually have another person that helps in the beginning. 100% of the recipes were mine, but we now have some um, other people that are helping with testing the recipes. They're not part of the really core team, Um, but Alexis kind of oversees that and oversees the editing process to make sure the meal plans are as um, error-free as possible. (laughs) I really am a stickler on that. Um, and then customer service is huge. So, um, Holly oversees customer service and we also have two other girls that help out on nights and weekends. Um, just to make sure it kind of got to the point where I'm like, gosh, if someone emails on Friday night and doesn't get a response until Monday, that's just, you know, the expectations anymore, just that you're going to have a faster response than that. Especially if it's like, oh, I don't have my, I need help resetting my password. I don't want someone to have to go all weekend without having help. So, and customer service was actually the first kind of hire that I made. Um, and then I also have a um, project manager that helps kind of oversee and coordinate all of that and make sure we have uh, systems and all of that and for everything um, in the company and that it's all working on time and as it should. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, as your business grows, you have to hire people. I mean, it's just like... Mm -hmm. it's the whole concept of like you have to spend money to make money as an entrepreneur as any business and that can be intimidating too so was it intimidating to hire your first employee
1: it was um but it was kind of again it was it was well planned out and kind of gradual right like the first, so I said I hired first for customer service. Well, really, it was interns. I had interns that I was working with, and they were helping me with the personal chef side of things. And, you know, they were just UT, like dietetic students. They were awesome. But, you know, I had them come and work, you know, just kind of cover it a few hours a week when it was really small in the beginning. And then really it was right before I got married where I was like, I need to hire someone to help with this because (laughs) I want to take a honeymoon and I want to be able to take like disconnect for a little while. And that's when I hired Andrea. So when I first hired her, she started out in customer service and then has kind of, you know, graduated on into other roles um, as she's been with me. But that was really the first one. And then it's just kind of the more you see, I don't know, in order for me to really focus on what's what I need to focus on in order to grow the business, I need to get help with a lot of places. And there's so much, too, that you realize over time, it's just not my, like, certain things are not my strength. And so when you can hire someone that is, one, better at doing it than you are, and two, enjoys it more than you are. For everything that you don't enjoy, there's someone out there that, like, they love that, you know? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> If if I don't enjoy it and I'm not good at it, then I need to be I need to find someone else to help me out with that. All right, I want to jump in real
0: quick and thank two of our sponsors who are making this podcast possible. The first is Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile fuses fashion and function for all runners. They create a personal shopping experience for men and women at any stage in their running journey. It's fun and easy and here's what you do. You create a runner profile at mercurymile.com. You pick a shipping date and then you receive and explore a curated box of incredible apparel from your personal stylist that matches your fit, style, and unique running needs. Keep what you love, send back anything you don't, free shipping and returns as always. And no subscription required. You guys can use the code HAVEANOTHER10 for $10 off your stylist fee. Thank you so much Mercury Mile for supporting this podcast and check them out guys and let me know what you think. I also want to thank Lily Trotters for supporting the podcast. Finally, a stylish high-performance compression sock for women. Lily Trotters compression socks are marathon-strong and designer-inspired. You get fit, comfort, and style whether you're running a marathon or a mile. Made in the USA, Lily Trotters compression socks are the perfect fit for the runner, traveler, expectant mom, you name it. Treat yourself and use the code ANOTHER to get 25% off your order. You guys heard from Jackie Merritt last week, and she runs for Lily Trotters. I love that company, woman-owned. I love it. Thanks, Lily Trotters, for supporting this podcast, and thank you, listeners, for supporting our sponsors, because that is just one way this podcast is made possible. All right, let's go ahead and continue this conversation with Allison Schaff. I think a lot of times, and this can be for people in the workplace too that are working for somebody else corporately, um, you know when you have a bunch of ideas, like how do you decide this is the idea I'm going to focus on and this is where I want to grow because I think it's easy to get lost in like all the ideas that you have and then you kind of like focus on everything at once and you don't really get anywhere. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I can totally relate to that and I think part of it is... Once I pick something to like really commit to it, at least for like an, an amount of time, something that's really helped me with that, there's a book called Traction and it outlines a model that you can use. And we actually use that at Prep Dish to for our weekly team meetings. And then it sets up sort of a year plan and then quarterly um, goals and kind of KPIs and stuff like that. And so I put together a plan on regular checkpoints. so I have like my year plan. And then each quarter we have each person has goals and projects that they're working on. And they can shift a little bit if needed. But really, I try and just pick those out. And like, how do you choose? Well, you know, I set aside, um, you know, a day to really like think it through and talk to people about it. And then, you know, I kind of revisit it for a few days before I really say, okay, this plan is in place now. And then we go over it as a team and just kind of go for it. But you know, I I just kind of have to sit down and think it through. I try and always have numbers too. Like if I can have some information that can help me make my decision, that's really helpful. Like, is there a way that I can make a decision better by like having certain you know, information in front of me? And if so, then I try and use that to help make the decision
0: so what was that book that you mentioned at the beginning the one that like helped you rule out your fear and why you weren't doing what you were doing
1: oh the in the like from earlier um you know what book I think that's in but I actually don't know is I think that's in the four-hour work week oh (laughs) okay yeah that was one of the very first Uh like books that I read that kind of was like pushing me over to be an entrepreneur yeah do you listen to his podcast Tim Ferriss I do sometimes, yes. And I, um, I read Tools of Titan. Actually, I don't know if I read the whole thing. It's like eight hundred. Yeah, I skimmed it. But no, I was. Re- I should pick it back up. Cause I was reading it last year, and I was almost. I think I'm like three quarters of the way through because I was doing like a few stories a night for a while. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like his podcast, and I like some of his books and all of his information. Yeah. Tools of Titans
0: is a good book to be able to kind of like flip through and pick and choose what you want to read. And, um, I actually checked it out at the library and I was like, whoa, I'm definitely not going to read this whole book. Um, by the time I have to take it back in 30 days. (laughs) Um, but if I said, if you like enough stories enough, then go buy it. But I, I was like, kind of, I don't know. I got kind of bored with it. So I just took it back. But, um, My question, one of my questions was going to be, how do you come up with so many like fresh and new ideas for recipes? And I know you mentioned now you've hired other people to help test stuff, but still you have to come up with a lot of recipes. So how do you how do you keep that fresh?
1: Well, for one thing, I mean, that was my job for years right like so I had kind of a database of all these recipes and I was doing that every week and that's what I really loved about my job and being a personal chef is that all of my clients were different so I was constantly coming up with new ideas um you know i'm just if i have i have a running list that i keep and so anytime I have a new idea or i see something fun I maybe make a note about it um you know whether that's through i actually don't use pinterest that much but sometimes like I'll come up with an idea and then maybe just like Google it to like see a few different recipes. But then I always kind of piece it together. Um, A lot of times at restaurants, if I order, if I see something I'll order it, and then know that I want to do something similar. Um, So restaurants definitely give me ideas. Um, And then just kind of, I don't know, ingredients a lot of times too. Like I'll start with an ingredient because when I look at the meal plans, I really, I look at them like, a big picture view so like over the course of the year I try and make sure there's variety so you know I want to use eggplant every now and then I don't want it to be eggplant heavy um, same thing with mushrooms and all of that so when I look at the meal plans it really makes it easy when you look at all of the ingredients and how frequently you want to use them you're like oh, you know this week we haven't you know it's summer and i look at seasonality too so it's like i'm not starting from scratch but i'm thinking to a recipe like if it's summer i know like okay maybe i want to use um peaches because they're in season and i haven't used them yet and um i want something on the grill And so then I'm like, well, maybe I could do, like, a grilled peach something or other. So, you know, when you kind of, like, narrow it down that way and have this, like, big picture view, you're not starting from scratch. It's like, oh, what recipe should I do? It's like, oh, here's some ingredients that I might use. And here's, like, some methods. And here's a way to, like – I've had a lot of Mexican foods. Maybe I should do something more, like, Asian style. Um, And then that can kind of get you thinking in the right direction.
0: So I – like, with my podcast, I have – When I launched it, I had like a more broad vision of like the different people I'd interview, but it's become very runner focused. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: um, I've kind of figured out along the way that if I am a little bit more niche, I always never know if it's niche or niche. Niche. Um, (laughs) But uh, what do you
1: say? I, some, I think I say niche, but I've heard people say niche too. So I, it's one I, of those. Words sometimes I just say and like hope that no one <laughs> say it really fast. <laughs> I'm the same
0: way. I'm like, I'll just say it and like move on, like I don't know any different. Um, but then when I'm recording podcasts, I'm like, I should call myself out because what if it is wrong? <laughs> um, but anyway, I've found that um, the, my podcast is generally more successful when I do talk about running a lot. So my question mm-hmm. to you on that. Um, because see, you know, you start something and you're like, I want it to be broad because I want to bring in this huge audience. Like I want as many people as possible, but really, like you have to focus on on a group. You know, like there's got to be one group that you're focused on. And you um, focus on paleo and gluten free meals. Tell us yep. why you decided to go that route.
1: Well, so the gluten free part was, I mean, that was basically decided for me. I'm gluten intolerant, and like I said in the beginning hundred percent of the recipes were all mine. (laughs) So, you know, I couldn't test recipes that I couldn't taste. So obviously they had to be gluten free and I, you know, my kind of food philosophy is really eating real foods, trying to avoid as you know, anything that's processed. And, um, the menus when I looked at them. So actually this is where my husband comes into play because when I met him, he was big into paleo and into the paleo scene here in Austin and, um, So I and I'd worked with a company and doing consulting that was doing a lot of paleo. And so the more I've researched paleo, I realized my plans were like almost paleo. All I had to do was remove, you know, the grains and the legumes. And so I was like, well, gosh, like they're so close to being paleo. So why don't I just do a second version of them that removes the grains and legumes? And it really wasn't that hard to do. So I added that in. Um, and I also had seen through, um, you know, some friends that are doctors and some of my personal chef clients that the paleo diet really helped people with certain conditions, especially like autoimmune conditions and all of that. And so, you know, I really wanted to be able to provide that as a resource for people that had seen health benefits from eating that way. Um, so that's how I transitioned into it. And now we sometimes even try and do like different dishes between because each everyone who signs up, they get access to. The gluten free and the paleo menus and that way they can just kind of choose from week to week which one they want to go with and so now we've kind of even started making them a little more different just so people can have more options to choose from but yeah, that's, that's why I decided to go that route. But I mean, I totally agree with you, the more you can um, specialize in something and speak to like only one very specific person um the more results you'll see you'll see even if it seems like oh man this is like a really small audience like you'd be surprised um <laughs> it really works well
0: well yeah and that too being said it's like like for me most of my listeners are runners but not all of them are or not all of them are very serious runners and the same can be said for your business like probably oh, sure. most of your client customers are paleo or gluten free but not all of them and they can still use your recipes
1: yeah, it's actually less than 50% that are like... Totally. More, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them like the idea of it or they want to try it out or something like that, but like that would actually consider it themselves gluten-free. I want to say that like, gosh, we we survey on this and I think it was like, I think it's like 30%. So it's actually a small percent. It's, you know, less than half that actually eat that way on a regular basis. But I think some of them it's like, they like the idea of like, okay, maybe I'm not a hundred percent gluten-free, but I like knowing that every night, you know, my family, you know, has this, um, you know, gluten-free healthy meal. So, so yeah. So have you seen,
0: you've seen that, um, it hasn't hurt your business to be so specialized and would you do anything different or do you have any ideas for anything different in the future? I mean, it's like, I know it's this constant growth process in your brain. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of tricky though with the like food labels because sometimes, you know, paleo can get a bad rap of like, oh, it's just like a bunch of meat and butter and bacon and Mm -hmm. that's it. And, you know, that's not really our meals are really like kind of more plant based. I mean, there still is that protein, so they're not vegetarian, but, you know, I really, it's a lot of vegetables and, you know, it's just a specific kind of style of eating more, you know, closer to the way that our ancestors ate. And so I do sometimes worry about like, paleo, can it be a turnoff? Or is it not? And it seems like right now, it really is people kind of understand like what we're saying when we say paleo. Um, But you know, it is kind of hard with diet and labels. And I don't love having labels on diets, but it is a good way. (laughs) to describe what we do. And, um, so yeah, right now I'm sticking with the gluten-free and paleo and we try out different plans. Um, we call them our specialty plans and we try those out just to kind of see and to offer them just as a one-time purchase of four weeks. So right now we have AIP meal plans, which are autoimmune protocol. Um, we have a reset plan, which is whole 30 compliant. I mean, most of our plans are pretty close to Whole30, but we still have, um, like some dessert options and stuff, which is not Whole30. And then one that we just launched was, um, alkaline meal plans. So there's a, um, doctor, a naturopathic doctor that I know, Dr. Darren Ingalls out of um, Connecticut. And he has a new book out, um, called the Lime solution. And his diet is eating a more alkaline way of eating. And When I was talking to him about it, he has some meal plans in his book, but really wanted some more resources for his um, patients and the readers of his book. And I said, look, I think that, you know, my meal plans are pretty close to being alkaline. Um, Really, it's decreasing the protein a little further. So cutting the portions down on that and just making sure that they're really um, kind of like vegetable heavy. Um, And sometimes it's having a few more vegetarian meals than our meal plans typically have. We usually have one meal a week on the gluten-free plan that's vegetarian. So we edited our plans a little bit to fit into the alkaline diet and now have those up on the website as well. So, you know, we kind of play around with a few different um, diets to kind of see. But at the same time, I also think that gluten-free and paleo are still very popular and we still have a lot of room to grow in those areas. So um, I'm happy to stick with those.
0: So I have to ask, are you ever going to write a cookbook?
1: You know, it's funny, maybe, um, it's not a lifelong dream of mine. Like it is for a lot of people. And, um, I have the recipes. Certainly uh, the main thing would be getting the photography. I would have to hire that out because I'd want beautiful pictures. Cause even though I'm, you know, a chef and into recipes and all that, I, Will be more likely to cook a recipe if it has, you know. I, I don't like cookbooks without pictures. And oh, insane! Yes, so, totally. Um, you know that would be the thing, and you know maybe someday, but it's not. It's not like my burning desire. I think I've had so many friends that have like written books, and I'm just. I know you know how difficult and time consuming that can be and right now I feel like I'm really where I need to be in terms of reaching people and getting into their kitchens and getting them to eating healthier and I'm trying to give them the tools to be you know efficient and smart with the way that they prepare their meals and I think the online meal plans do that best so um, you know not right now but you never know. So who takes the pictures on your Instagram account? Because they're pretty good. Um, so some of them some of them I take and then others, um, you know, we have different photographers that we've worked with that kind of like fill us up with a, um, you know, and we buy the full rights of them. So we don't always like have to um, mention that. But like if we, and with, if we work with a recipe developer ever, like we try and work with one that can also do some photos of the recipes they develop. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, every now, like every year or two, we'll just, put together a list of photo needs and have a photographer shoot all those for us. Okay. So
0: if, um, being someone who's so passionate about food, um, your last meal, what would it be?
1: Um, you know, it would probably be, um, beef ribs. So, and I say this because I was vegetarian for seven years. And (laughs) when I decided I was no longer going to be vegetarian, which is when I'm I was like, I'm moving to Texas and want to cook for people. I I feel like I should try and bring meat back into my diet. <laughs> and, and the ribs did it for me. Like I, one day I was like, I'll take a tiny bite of turkey sandwich and see if how I feel. And I did okay. And I was like, thought I would get like, bring it back in moderation. But like a few days later, my friend had made these like beef ribs, like barbecued ribs. And I just like went crazy on them. And I'm like, I, so I think it'd have to be ribs. And chocolate, like a brownie, a chocolate brownie, and some red wine. Mm.
0: So you were vegetarian for seven years. Why were you a vegetarian?
1: You know, at the time, it was, I um, thought it was, um, I thought it was healthier, and I also, I'd read a you know lot of books on food production in culinary school, and just kind of didn't have a huge craving for meat, so I didn't eat it for seven years, and then brought meat back into my diet. And definitely I felt better um, when I did that. Um, And then I felt way better because I've been gluten free for five years now. So I think I gave up meat. And then there was two years and then I stopped eating gluten. And both of those moments, I was like, wow, I thought I was healthy and felt fine. But looking back, I feel so much more energy and health and just I feel better having meat in my diet and eliminating gluten. Like those two things were both kind of game changers for my health, I think.
0: So you, how do you, um, I'm just, I'm, I look through your Instagram and you say you hired a customer service person. Like how do you, uh, cultivate relationships and like really build your brand using social media?
1: Um, well, the Facebook group is totally a way that we do that because, it just like it's a little community in there. You know, I think um, our people are on Facebook a lot. And so we try and just encourage people to share. And it's nice because we are, you know, company is based around food and mealtime. And so that's pe- something that people just like to talk about and share about. And so, you know, if I can get people to do that. And then, you know, on a team level with my team, um, we do try and get together when we can, where some of us are a bit spread out, um, but we've had kind of, a few in-person, like a team retreat and then like a holiday meal. So we try and do, it's hard, you know, when everything's online and you're a remote team to really have that same connection. And so, um, when there's ever an opportunity for it, we try and take advantage of that.
0: Okay, Allison. So before we wrap up, I have to ask, what are you most passionate about outside of your work with prep dish? I mean, I know when you create something like this, it's like something you love. It's like your baby.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, probably just travel. My husband and I both love to travel. And I think that's kind of what motivates me to, you know, work so hard is that I really like to get out there and explore the world. And yeah, we're always on a plane going somewhere. <laughs>
0: how do you think do you think that'll change when you have kids or do you expect to hire a babysitter or bring them with because my kids are like five three and one right now and I would I love the idea of travel but whenever I see people on trips with their kids that are that little I'm like there's no way you're really having a lot of fun unless you have a babysitter with you
1: yeah so it's Interesting. The first few years of marriage, we went to like 20 plus countries. So I think we're good. I think we're good for a little while if we like, kind of like you know, put a put a halt to some of the travel uh-huh. for a few years. Um, but we definitely have both have this goal of um, traveling with our kids. I mean, I don't think one, three, and five would probably be the appropriate age. <laughs> I'm not a mom yet, so I don't know. But I'm guessing not that. Young, But we do have a dream of like um, traveling with our kids and potentially even doing like a one year um, like world travel where we take them out of school and just travel the world. That's something we've already kind of talked about and kind of started saving for. So I don't know. We don't even have kids yet. So we're kind of ahead of ourselves. But that's totally something that we dream about doing someday.
0: But did you hear that? You're already saving for it. See, it's like when you start a business, you're already saving for it. That's awesome. Yep. Um, did you listen to Tish, Tish Oxen writer on Jamie's podcast?
1: I don't know if I heard her on there, but I've read her book and we, we, uh, with Tish. So yeah, I love her book is awesome. Like it's very inspirational.
0: Did that? Cause so for everybody listening, she wrote a book, she did that exact thing. They kind of traveled the world with their three kids. Now I think their youngest was like four or, you know, like not in diapers. So that makes it a huge difference, but um, they traveled the world. So did did you have the ad- idea for doing that before? Or did that book kind of inspire you?
1: I know that book inspired me. We've had some friends here that have done that. So I've kind of, and I don't know who was the first one that prompted it, but like, you know, I've heard it. And so once you kind of hear it, I think you kind of start hearing more and more and meeting more people that have done that and seeing it. She definitely was one of the earlier ones that inspired me though. Um.
0: Okay, so- what is something professionally or personally that you have not done yet in your life that you would like to do? Starting a family. That's like a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be?
1: Um. Gosh, I think it would be to, um, you know, if you, because, you know, we're, we've talked about like starting a business and all of that. And kind of just to listen to what, listen to your intuition and just have, have faith in things. And so if you have like a nudge or, um, you know, if you have faith and you like, you feel like God is prompting you to do something, to really listen to that and just kind of go for it.
0: Yeah. Because if you don't like, you're probably going to live in a a life of like, what if, what if, what if?
1: Yep. Yeah, and if you do and it doesn't work out, then, you know, there's always lessons to that come out of that as well. So
0: and hopefully mother's couches you can sleep on. <laughs> <laughs> you always have your mom's couch. <laughs> um, what is the best, most recent book you've read?
1: Um, so I loved to read and I always do a one business and one personal. So the business, well, and this isn't exactly business, but there's one called Extreme Ownership and it's by two Navy SEALs. And I always said I didn't want to do Audible, but I started doing Audible for this book And it's awesome because the Navy, the two Navy SEALs that wrote it, like read it out loud. And there's kind of like some war stories, but it's really about team building and how to really take extreme ownership over anything you do, not only in work, but really just in life. Like you really need to take ownership over whatever you're going to do. And then the other one, personal. So I always kind of do a personal and a professional is, um, because I think on your interview, you said that you liked, oh, a man called Ovi. Uh Uh-huh. I've read another one and it's the 100 year old man who like jumped out the window. Okay. And yeah. it's not exactly like a man called Ovi, but it reminds me of that. And it's just like this, I don't know, it's a wacky, weird, sometimes dark book, but it's just crazy and it's really fun. So that's my other one is the 100 year old man who jumped out the window. <laughs> Did you
0: also read a man call, called, I never know how to say his name either, but Ovi or whatever? Yes, I read that one. I love that one. Yeah, it's really good. The Extreme Ownership. That sounds really good. And I am the same as you. Like I have never done Audible yet, but I know uh, time-wise it makes sense to try it because there's only so much like actual physical reading you can do when you're multitasking,
1: you know? Yes, I know. I have my book that I read when I go to bed, but now I started with extreme ownership because someone said, you have to do that one on Audible because the authors are just, it's so much cooler to like listen to them. So I did it, but then now I'm kind of hooked and I'm still doing Audible because I go on walks every day. And now when I go on my walk, I can listen to my Audible book and breeze through a lot more books than usual.
0: <laughs> yeah. The author's voice has to be like make or break for Audible for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Um, what, what are some things that, what are some of your favorite things right now?
1: Um, well, so my chickens just started laying eggs. So going out and like getting eggs from them is like really cool. Um, and Oh, I had something else I was going to say and now it's escaping me, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just go with my chickens' eggs. (laughs) That,
0: That sounds really exciting to me actually. Um, what, do you have a nonprofit you like to support a favorite?
1: Yes. So Austin, um, pets alive and thundering poses. I have two cats and we got them both from shelters. And so I feel really, I like to continue to so- support their homes that they came from. <laughs>
0: oh, that's very good. I love that. Well, Allison, thank you so much for, um, joining me today and for, you know, being a, I think, you know what, I think you might've been my very first sponsor when I launched my show.
1: Really? Oh, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> in
0: 2016. So, um, you know, my show's certainly grown a lot since then. And I know that your business has grown a lot since then, too. So it's kind of fun to it's fun to partner with uh, sponsors who are also like running this thing themselves. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so yeah, passionate about it. it. You. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like you're in it with me. And I'm so passionate about the fact that like you followed your dream and you're doing this business that you you know felt so much in love with so um yeah this has been a great partnership and i'm just so glad i got to talk to you cuz i've wanted to do this for a while
1: well glad i'm so glad you had me on and i agree it's just been so fun partnering with you and i've also enjoyed just kind of watching you grow and it's it's really fun so thank you
0: awesome we'll have a great rest of your day so good to talk to you you too bye bye all right everybody thanks so much for tuning in today you guys can find all the information from this episode in the show notes lindseyhine.com. thank you mercury mile go to mercurymile.com and use the code have another 10 to get ten dollars off your stylist fee thank you lily trotters check them out lilytrotters.com use the code another to get 25 percent off your order you guys might also want to check out prep dish after hearing from allison i know her story is inspiring Go to prepdish.com slash another and use the code another for a free two-week trial. You guys can follow PrepDish on social media. That's where Allison hangs out as well. You can just find her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PrepDish. You can find me as well. I'm Lindsay lindsayhine626 on Instagram, Lindsay Hine on Twitter, and I'll have another with lindsayhine on Facebook. We also have a group over on Facebook where all the fun stuff is happening. You gotta join the group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We talk about books. We talk about the podcast, upcoming episodes, past episodes. People go there for advice on running injuries or what race they should run next. You've got to join the group. It's the best place to be. I'll put a link to the group in the show notes as well. All right, you guys. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you so, so very much for tuning in and for listening to the show every week. I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.